created live on Fireside. Hey, hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Human Challenge. Super excited today to be joined by the Professor Epimeritis of Economics at Stanford University and external faculty of the Santa Fe Institute, Dr. Matthew O. Jackson. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I've got you, Vanessa. Okay, perfect, perfect. Did I, did I introduce you correctly? It was a lot of words, <laughs> so I wanna make sure I got it right. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm super grateful. Um, I know you're super busy. I know uh, you were telling me you've got chair duties. So I'm super grateful to have you here um, to really get your feedback and opinion, um, even insights into some of the stuff that we like to talk about on the show. Um, you know, for for the show, and even for me personally, um, I always think about you know, obviously we're talking a lot in, in the media and in the public, we're talking a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're talking about the structure of society. And I think that's all very important. And one of the things that always really fascinated me was, you know, we've created this structure, right? We've created the way things work so we can create something a little bit different. And I'm always drawn to research and people that are also exploring these different ways of being able to connect with ourselves, to connect with each other, to make a difference. And so uh, your book, The Human Network, was really interesting to me for that reason, because um, I was very interested to see you pull from all these different, you know, you looked in the financial space, you looked at social media, um, you looked at all these different avenues and to really show us and how our social networks really do impact what we believe, what we see, what choices we make. And so it was really insightful for me to see that I actually have the book here, everyone, you can grab a copy on Amazon, The Human Network, um, really great read. Um, and again, like it was very, very insightful to see how it made me think in what ways my network actually does influence what I think, what I believe, what I see in people. And it really made me a little bit more conscious about the, the connections I do make with people. And so I was kind of hoping you could maybe share some of that with us, you know, share some of what you see all the time and some of our networks and these factors that, that do influence how we perceive others and the choices that we make in our own lives as well. Yes. I, I think as you point out that the, um, extent to which humans are social species is, is, is really strong. And, um, we depend on other people for opportunities for, you know, wh whether or not we have opportunities to get a job interview, um, what kind of information we're hearing, uh, what we expect from our lives, what aspirations we have, all sorts of things. And, and I think it's easy for us to underestimate, how important the set of people that we have around us and that we're in regular communication with are. And, you know, we, we always think of ourselves as making choices and so forth, but those choices are out of some set. And, and what we think of as choices depends very much on what other people are, are considering as, uh, as options and so forth. And, and I think often we don't even realize that. And the extent to which our networks constrain us is, is quite extensive. And, and I think, you know, having a better understanding of the fact that we're embedded in a community and, and that community determines a lot about our trajectory and the way we think can be liberating in the sense that once you realize that you can reach out, you can change the you know structure, you can take better advantage of, of the opportunities that you do have, you can 
you know, work through your community a little more. So I think it's an important perspective to have and one that we often ignore. And what about, you know, so that's kind of, that's a very like personal experience, right? That's like, if we're looking at our own personal experiences and creating the lives that we want to create for ourselves. And I know that's very important for every single one of us to really take control of what we would like to make out of our own lives. And what about when we kind of zoom out a little bit and when we look at things like the societal impact of that, right? Like the fact that, you know, I can work through my own community, but can I do that in a way where I'm not ignoring other communities or I'm not, uh, you know, maybe sacrificing other communities or not at the expense of other communities, right? And especially when we look at this from the lens of like diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, how does that kind of fit together? Yeah, I mean, you know, one one thing that that's um, pretty striking when you start looking at, at social networks and, and human relationships is that people tend overwhelmingly to stick to interacting with people who are very similar to themselves. And that can happen along, um, you know, uh, age, education level, ethnicity, religion, political views, um, occupation, geography, it, pretty much any dimension you can think of that characterizes people. Um, they tend to be interacting mostly with people who are similar to themselves. And that, you know, on the one hand, that's great in the sense that these are people who have shared experiences, who can help you out and understand you really well. But it's also constraining in the sense that those aren't going to be the people who have different perspectives than you would normally have or who can bring fresh information in. And often, you know, when we're making choices of who to interact with and who to hang out with and, you know, which conferences to go to or where we might want to work and so forth, we're making those decisions based on our own welfare or our family's welfare. So we might be thinking fairly narrowly. And those choices actually have broader implications. So, you know, if I learn something new from computer science, I can bring that to other economists and, and I can, you know, import that knowledge and, and help spread that knowledge in, in my own circles. And, you know, people can do that on all sorts of dimensions. So reaching out is something that we tend to underdo from the social perspective. Our communities would benefit a lot more if we formed more of those bridges. And so, you know, the question is, how do you get people to, to be more out, outgoing and more extroverted when it comes to connecting across bridging communities? And it's not something that's natural in our, in our DNA somehow. And uh, um, so it, 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 you know, it takes act, active thought and it tends to, to lead to networks that are more segregated than we would want. And so I remember um, in your book, I know when we spoke last time, you know, you had you explore uh, like social media networks, correct? Um, and so I think what you're describing that you do see that right when you look at social media data, I, I think I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah. So, so we've um, actually been involved in doing a large scale study. This is with um, uh, Raj Chetty um, at, at Harvard and Teresa Kukler and Johanna Strobel at NYU and in a team of researchers, we analyzed Facebook data and we looked at um, basically 25 to 44 year olds in, in their social networks. And there, you know, we can, it, the data is amazing. So you, you've got 70 million people. So more than 80% of the U.S. population, um, 2 billion friendships. So you've got this enormous data set and, and you can really see how communities are connected. In particular, what we looked at was how well connected poor people are to rich people. So, you know, just take an income divide um, <clears throat> and, and look at a given community and ask, okay, if people are below median income, 
what's the chance that they're connected to somebody above median income? So, um, you know, are the, are the rich and the poor in a community separated from each other or are they actually friends with each other? And when you start looking across communities in the U.S., um, it's quite amazing how heterogeneous this is. So there's parts of the country where these people just don't interact across social lines, across these class lines. And there's other parts of the U.S. where, where things are very well integrated. And uh, what you tend to see is that that also is very predictive of whether the people who, you know, children who grow up in poor families end up having a chance to rise out of poverty. And so, you know, the, the structure in, in areas where poor and rich don't interact, um, the poor stay poor and the rich stay rich. And in, in areas where you have interactions across lines, then people tend to, you know, to not be their their fate isn't determined by what their parents income was. It's it's really their own. You know, they're, they're more on their own and they, they, they have a lot more autonomy. And so. Um, you know, that's just one thing you can begin to see, but you begin to see that, the, that those are really strong patterns. It's, it's pretty striking how, um, you know, how, how different it is across areas and how strongly correlated that is with the outcomes. So communities that somehow connecting people across lines, that's really important for, um, you know, having predicting whether or not uh, you're going to have uh, good mobility and equality in your community. And so um, that's like, that's super interesting to me because I'm honestly, for me, maybe I just had a very pessimistic perspective, um, but I actually did not know there were many communities where you actually did have that, that interaction between, uh, you know, poor and rich individuals. So that's actually wonderful to hear. Were you able to explore some of the things, like some of the factors as to why that happened in certain communities or what was different about these communities where there was that interaction um, you know, why was, why are some communities able to do it and others seem to struggle to maintain that, that connection? Yeah. So what, one thing we looked at, for instance, you can see where, where people form friendships, you know, where, was it in high school? Was it in their neighborhood? Was it in, uh, their religious organization? Was it in a, a club of some kind? Was it in, um, uh, their workplace? So you can actually look at where these connections are being formed and, um, it, it varies dramatically. And so just to give one example, if you look at high schools, big high schools, really big high schools tend not to connect poor and rich across class lines. Really small high schools tend to do a very good job at that. So, you know, one thing is just if you if you put people into a setting where there's a lot of people in their same social class or economic class, they'll tend to segregate. And when you put them in, in close proximity to each other, like you put them in small classes, they will interact across those lines. And so part of it just seems to have to do with the size of the school, the size of the community, whether people are in regular contact with each other. Um, so there's a lot of things we can see, you know, just, just by looking at the different places. And, you know, neighborhoods are, are, don't do a very good job. So if you just look at the friendships formed with your neighbors, people tend not to, to form friendships much just with the people in their neighborhood. Um, but, you know, if you look at re religious organizations, then you see, you know, friends, friendships form across class lines. So it depends very much on where those friendships are being formed and how much contact there are between people. Um, so you can begin to see these patterns emerging. And, you know, there are things that people might not be conscious of when they're in these environments that that's actually determining who you're interacting with and who's going to be your friend and who are the people that you're advice from and who are the people you're looking to for how you should behave. 
Interesting. Um, and I guess I'm kind of curious, you know, I know that you're studying, you obviously look at things from an economics perspective. And so I'm kind of curious, um, you know, what about when we look at like the influence or the impact of organizations and businesses, even things like social capital, um, maybe if you could spend a bit of time, maybe probably contextualizing, um, um, you know, the definition of, of social capital, because I think it can have a few different meanings. And I know you talk about networks, but, you know, specific to the business space, you know, sometimes social capital can have a little bit of a different uh, meaning. Um, and then maybe talking a bit about um, how the network, how network effects do impact uh, that or the impact of that on social capital as well. Sure. So, so you know, social capital seems to be a very important concept, and you know, we, when we think of financial capital, it's that's wealth or you know, basic um, uh, means of production, old style capital that we can think of. Human capital we refer to as you know your skill set, what your education is, um, what uh, knowledge you have about particular um, organizations, you know, where you work or or uh, where you've studied. Um, Social capital we usually refer to as something about your connections and your community. And the issue is that social capital could actually mean very different things. It could mean a lot of things. And one, as you're mentioning, would be, okay, let's take a community and let's just think of how um, trusting the community is, um, how altruistic the community is. So you can actually look at that and we can do that in the Facebook data, how many um, volunteer organizations there are there in a given community. How much participation is there by the local population in, in those in those organizations? How much are they giving to charity and so forth? So you can look at that by community, and you can say that's one you know necessary part of social capital that we might think of as as making a community function well. So you know how how civic minded is it? That's one aspect. Another would be um, you know how well, bonding is my local social network. So if I have friends, are they, are they interacting with each other? Um, are, are, are there really close-knit circles where we have cliques of friends who are all um, friendly with each other and all uh, participating with each other? And there, there's a whole series of theories that come out of sociology about how important that kind of um, bonding is in the sense that, you know, if there's really close communication between a bunch of us, then we can make sure that we're behaving. Um, you know, if, if, so, if somebody's not acting well and, and not uh, helping out the other people in, in our group, um, we can ostracize them. And so, you know, things like that come out of a really uh, a, a tightly knit community where everybody knows each other, everybody can gossip about each other and pay attention to each other. That's an important aspect of social capital, a very different aspect of social capital. And then the third is the one that we were talking about just a moment ago. Um, which is really this bridging capital, um, you know, to use the term from Robert Putnam, uh, the, the idea that, that you're connecting across lines or you're connecting outwards from your community. And, um, you know, that's the, you know, are the poor connected to the rich? Are they friends with the rich? Are they friends with people outside of their community? How broad is your network? And, and that's important you could think of in terms of opportunities and information and whether or not you really um, have the ability to sort of get out of your bubble. And when you look at the data, it's that last one, you know, that sort of bridging capital that's very predictive of whether people rise out of poverty. Um, the others seem to be important in sort of supporting people. So, you know, if, you, if you're in a poor community, it's very important to have support and to have people who can help you out if you, if you don't have other means of, of you know, helping yourself. Um, 
So there's, there's uh, you know, all these different forms of social capital, and they seem to have very different footprints when it comes to, you know, what they do in our lives and, and how predictive they are of whether or not we're going to be successful in terms of, you know, um, being able to, to be economically um, secure and, and um, you know, live out our potential in, in terms of doing what we want in our lives. Interesting. Um, you know, and I, I'm grateful that you talked about the bridging capital and that that seems to be the one that's most predict predictive because that was going to be my next question was if you felt that there was one that was a little bit more, uh, you know, that was a little bit more prominent or one that we needed to focus on more. So I'm, I'm grateful that you kind of went in that direction. Anyways, I appreciate that. Um, no, I think, that's, I think that's really fantastic. And I think when we, again, looking at building out our own kind of social consciousness, right? Like, how is it um, you know, walking away from this, how can I be more mindful about the people that I'm connecting to and how it's impacting me, but how I'm also impacting these networks. And so I'm not sure if you have any ideas um, about how we can do that, right? How we can be more, more mindful about that as we go about our days. I'm not sure if that's something that you, um, that you had any thoughts about or any insights into that maybe you can share with the rest of us listening. I, th I think one piece of advice is just you know, to not be afraid to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. And, and what does it mean? That means, you know, reaching out to people you normally wouldn't reach out to, talking to people you normally wouldn't talk to, um, hanging out, you know, with groups that you don't know anybody and you're, you're sort of an outsider. Uh, it, it's much easier just to always hang out with a group that you feel really comfortable with and, and you know, bridging and, and forming these um, uh relationships that end up benefiting not only you, but your whole community are, you know, that, that actually takes effort and it takes, um, you know, a little bit of risk and there's risk involved, right? You're, you're, you're reaching out to people who you don't really understand. You don't know that well, um, they're different. And, and I think that, you know, that's something that's not necessarily easy to do, but once we realize the importance of it, 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 it becomes um, sort of essential to furthering our own, lives and, and, you know, helping other people in our community, uh, you know, get the access to information and opportunities and things that they normally wouldn't have ever heard about. Right. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And then I guess one final question, um, you know, I know, obviously I know that you look at this again from an economics perspective, but I'm curious, um, do you think there are any kind of things that can be done from a public policy level, you know, to, uh, you know, to encourage more of these like bridging interactions like you were talking about? Um, you know, I don't know if you have any opinions on that by chance. Yes, yeah. So I think, you know, the, the kinds of things that this suggests are that things like mentorships where the mentorships are, you know, helping people form connections to people that have information that they normally wouldn't be, you know, getting that can be vitally important. Uh, reaching kids at, at earlier ages and helping make sure that they have the perspective of, uh, you know, what what's the broader set of opportunities in their life, not just what they see other people close around them doing. You know, what are all the really opportunities out there, and how do they make sense of those? And and helping you know, um, bridge those in, in terms of connecting them with people who have different experiences. Um, you know, that those kinds of programs can be really useful. And then when you look inside high schools, if you have a giant high school, uh, which tends often to be tracking people so that, you know, rich people end up in some classes and poor people are ending up in other classes, 
you need to do something to make sure that there's classes that that really put people together and put them together in ways that they have a chance to really interact and, and form friendships. You know, those are kinds of basic things that we can see from the data and are, are sort of different policy provisions than just helping build more organizations that can support, you know, um, people in need um, or dumping money and, you know, sort of saying, okay, look, you know, we're, we're, we have extra programs. So it, it sort of says that the social capital is a, is a big, important part of this. You can put other, other resources in, it might not have much of an effect if you're not also helping these people, you know, form richer networks where they have the information and opportunities to take advantage of. And so, you know, putting it all together, there, there can be strong interactions between these kinds of programs. And you really need that extra leverage. Right, right. I appreciate that. That's, um, I really appreciate that perspective. I think that's really, really interesting. And like you said, it really is about bringing all these different pieces together and really like enriching all of the programs that are already, that do already exist. Um, I thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I think I'm going to cap it there because I do think that the, you know, it was a really great discussion, really interesting insights. And yeah, I really appreciate the last comments there about the kind of the, comp the complementing different uh, policies and programs that are in place already. So um, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. Really appreciate it. I know you're busy, um, but I, I really do appreciate your thoughts on this topic. I do believe in being in all of us being a little bit more uh, socially conscious. And I think that how we build our networks and being mindful of that um, and the implications of it, um, I think it's a very, very important part of growing our social consciousness. So thank you so much. Thanks, Vanessa. It's been great. <laughs> okay. Take care. Thanks, you too. Take care. Bye. Creative Live on Fireside.